So um, today I, I wanted to talk about what God says about us. And what He says so many things, I haven't got enough time to tell you all of them. But there's one particular thing I think that God's been speaking to me about. And it's from the story of Gideon. Before we get to Gideon, I just want to read you this scripture from Ephesians 6. You know, sometimes we can end up feeling a bit like that, a little bit isolated in the world, a little bit cut off, maybe a little bit fearful. And because of that, this is what God's given us. He says, Paul writes, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the world's darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And therefore take up the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, and having done everything, to stand. You know, I think it's a truth that whenever we move through a struggle and we win, we find there's another struggle. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, remove your sense of victory in your life. I'm just saying that as God deals with us and we discover something that is really hard to deal with and we deal with it and we're victorious in it, we turn the corner and we find that actually there's something else that he has on his agenda for us. In fact, if I've stopped struggling, I've stopped changing. And if I've stopped changing, I'm probably dead. So I don't want to be dead. I want to be moving on in him. And I just want you to think, so at the moment, what is it? And by struggle, I don't mean a fight that you're not going to win. I just mean there's something that God has given to you at this time that you're having to, 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 to rely on him for, to push through, to see a new place of reality. Because I believe that God gives us these points of struggle for a reason. And the trouble with being in a place of struggle is that we can find ourselves in a place of fear. Fear that we might not be strong enough. Fear that the very thing that we're worried about happening, well, it might happen. But Paul writes in Romans that the Holy Spirit that we received is not something which makes us, is not someone who makes us a slave to fear, but actually is the one that gives us the ability to cry out, Abba, Father. And um, God's been speaking to us from the story of Isaac um, and uh, the story of Isaac as he went from well to well and he... Uh, he spoke to us as leaders about this recently, and you know we've been reviewing that as well. And he went on from hole to hole in the ground, carefully digging it out, and every time he finished his work, he found it removed. He found it, someone took over. Someone pressed in, and, and he didn't see the fruit of his labor. But Isaac never gave in to fear. He just moved on to the next thing. He just moved on to the next thing. And in the end, he ends up in the place of Bathsheba, which is the place of the oath, the place of promise, the place where God met with him and he was able to, to find a security. 
Now, Gideon lived at a different time, and something very different was happening. The Israelites lived in fear of the people called the Midianites. And uh, the Midianites, what they did was every time it got to a certain time of year, harvest time, they, they removed everything that the Israelites had, had grown. I'm going to show you a, a short, uh, short video that might tell us something about it. Maybe you can try this. It was harvest time in Israel, and a palpable sense of anxiety was in the air. At any moment, the wary farmers might lift their eyes to see a tidal wave of Midianite soldiers pouring down from the hills like a flash flood from a broken dam. The Bible describes the Midianites as a nation of grasshoppers. Whenever the harvest was ripe, they would descend upon Israel's fields and crops in vast numbers like a swarm of locusts, leaving nothing in their wake but destruction and desolation. The Israelites went on the defensive, hunkering down in caves, hiding in the mountains, and building protective strongholds. The nervous harvesters quickly reaped what they could and hid it away in anticipation of an imminent invasion. God had a plan to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, and he had chosen just the man for the job. But God's choice seemed highly unlikely. Gideon was not a superhero by any stretch of the imagination. He was a victim of his society's ills, a man who had been influenced by the climate of cowardice that had crippled and enslaved the Israelites. He was such a prisoner of fear that he would hide in a winepress to thresh his small harvest of wheat. A winepress is no place to thresh wheat. But Gideon had chosen this inappropriate place because he was afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid of losing his harvest and his life, so he hid both underground. It was in this dungeon of fear that the Lord found Gideon, frustrated, trembling, and perspiring. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. No one would have anticipated the Lord's declaration that day. Gideon, the Lord says, you are a mighty man of fearless courage. Where others saw a coward, God saw a deliverer. To live in that kind of circumstance, it just bogg- the mind boggles, doesn't it? So if you read Judges 6, 1 to 6, you can read some of the background to how Gideon got into that state. But they were in a place where whatever they built, whatever they did, was taken away. Uh, And when the Midianites came, they didn't spare a living thing. So so fear was a kind of way of life for him. Fear had become the norm. To live under that kind of oppression must have been horrendous. As you heard in the story, the, the Israelites were taken to living in caves... Uh, and, um, and the oppressors were, it says in the Bible, too many to count. Later on, we'll come to, I'll, I'll point you to a scripture that gives us an idea of just how many there were. But there's too many to count at this stage. And in their brokenness, they, they cried out for help. 
Now, the Bible's wonderfully understated in places, and that's one of the places that I think is understated. They cried out to the Lord for help. Now, if I was in that nation at that time, my cry would have sounded fairly dramatic. Um, this, is, this is the cry that comes from within. I, it's, it's something which is, resonates with your very heart. This is not, oh Lord, it's really, I really need your help in this situation. There is something absolutely desperate about the world that they're facing. And God used that tough time to get hold of their attention. He used that, that, that time to bring them back. We haven't said anything about what's been going on in Israel, but Israel has got stuff it needs to sort out. And um, sometimes things happen in our lives that, that God wants to use, that God uses. God always uses the things that happen in our lives. I should just say that, actually. But sometimes things like this happen to bring us to that place of crying out to him. And this is what God answers them through the prophet. He says, just remember, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in the land who you live. But you have not listened to me. The thing that the Israelites were doing at this time was they, were, they had other things they were relying on than God. There were other things they put into their lives that, that were a source of strength to them. And right in the midst of that stupidity, it's stupid to rely on anything other than God because anything else is going to go. So they're, they're relying on something which is going to go, something that is unreliable. God turns up and he speaks to someone who's doing something incredibly stupid. As I'm sure you've probably heard before, but the job that Gideon was doing was this thing that if we were farmers we'd know a bit more about. But it's something about, if you've got your wheat, you've got this chaff, light stuff that's on the outside, that you want to get away from the nice stuff that you make your your flower from, so you chuck it up in the air so that the air carries away the light stuff and the heavy stuff falls down. Well, if you're shut in a wine press and you're chucking stuff up and down, a wine press is an enclosed space, that job just doesn't get done very well. I also do wonder whether what actual protection a wine press would offer if 120,000 Midianites had chosen to attack at that particular moment. I mean, if he's in the wine press, I guess they may not look there. And he may manage to keep a bit of wheat. But I reckon it's not the most defended position. We can do really stupid things in our lives. We can have things that we just get used to, that we tolerate, because we're fallen sometimes. There are things about us that are broken that God wants to make strong. And as we rely on those things... So God proves his word as he says, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Don't worship anything else. Don't put your trust in anything else. But our state doesn't affect his willingness to turn up. We could be feeding pigs in a foreign land 
and God will turn up in our conscience. We can be working away in our Father's house and God will turn up and point out the error of our heart. We, wherever we are, God will send his word to you. And God's word breaks through. Okay, I just want just to show you a picture. Okay, now a few years ago, this is a bit like, it's not a picture of my garden shed, but it is one that's copyright free, so it's okay, Martin. Um, this, this is a bit of uh, ivy growing up a wall. Can you see that? Yeah. Now a few years ago, that's what my shed looked like. And um, I thought, oh, I really should get rid of that ivy. Really should, you know? Because um, it's not good. It's not good ivy in the garden. Hands up if you think ivy is a problem in the garden. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, a little bit later, it looks a bit more like that. <laughs> right? Uh, I didn't have the forest in my back garden. But, but you can see how the ivy has grown right up. Now, last week, I got up on Saturday and I said to Christina... I've decided I need to deal with the ivy. This was a great idea, and top of her priorities for what needed to be done in the back garden. You can tell this because there were a few things that we discussed that might be an issue. Look, it's not very big. Um, It's not doing any harm. It's holding the shed up. If you take it down, um, you know, and it looks nice. If you take it down, the shed might fall down. Surely there's something more important you could do. You know, sometimes we can have things in our lives that we've kind of left there. And, and it might even cover some stuff up that actually, that actually uh, we don't really want anyone else to see. But the thing about ivy is it puts roots into whatever it's on. And it destroys it. And I believe that that spirit of fear that that the Israelites were suffering from was a bit like that ivy. A bit like that ivy. It was allowing a weakness to develop. And, um, and well, it's time to deal with the ivy. I think that for some of you, you might be thinking about what that ivy might be. Some of you are thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Well, that's okay. But I think that there's something of God in this, so I just want to stick with it. God demands all our worship. There's no other name under which heaven may be praised. And the weakness of the Israelites had had come out of dealing with false gods, of continuing to deal with things that seem to give them strength, but actually we're drawing them away from the thing that God had for them. Sometimes we can have things like that. And like the ivy, what starts small grows. It can look attractive. It can sometimes look more attractive than what's underneath. But God's not interested in looking attractive. It covers up weaknesses, needs for repairs. And actually it might make us feel more content in the short term. The problem is it fundamentally weakens us. So the angel appears to Gideon. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He sees something which Gideon can't see. 
because he's not, de- he's not deceived by this stuff that's in the way. Now, Gideon still has questions, and the, and the process takes time. But let me read you uh, from Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, and where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? In fact, that's just what the prophet has said. That's just what God said to them, to remind them. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. You know they were never in the hand of Midian? But that's, that's where Gideon feels he is. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So it's an interesting situation. We've got Gideon hiding away. I mean, who knows? He could have been the most frightened person there. He's doing something fairly crazy. He's trying to do a job that he can't do properly in the wrong place. He's, he knows he's not really protected in that environment, were something to happen, but he reckons he's better off there than anywhere. And not only that, he's doubting about himself. He's doubting about his birth. He's doubting about his family and whether that any, has any consequence. And yet an angel of the Lord is speaking to him and saying, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And I just want to look at what the basis for Gideon's strength is. Gideon's strength... Gideon's strength comes from the Father. So, sorry, I've forgotten I was doing this. Yeah, so he asks, why well, have you done all that? Done all that? Yeah. See, God doesn't base our callings and abilities, our calling on our position or abilities. God requires obedience. That means that we're all qualified. Okay? See, the basis of Gideon's strength is this. Don't worry too much, because this will come out in the bulletin. There's far too many words on my slides. I don't want you to get distracted by, by words. The basis of Gideon's strength... God has sent him. God has sent him. God has sent you. He promises to be with him. And he promises that when they're doing stuff, they're doing it together. And eventually, he... He sacrifices staff and he realises he's been speaking to an angel and guess what? Gideon is afraid again because he's now been speaking to God so he starts getting fearful again. But God gives him peace. Sometimes we need to know peace in here so that we can fight out there. 
And I think that that's one of the, the principal battle zones. And when I say in here, I probably mean in here. I, 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 I don't know whether I'm talking about heart or head or... It, it's, you know, it's this stuff, this thing that is me, has to be peaceful so that I can fight from a position of strength, knowing who I am, knowing who God is, and knowing what he said. So, so God promises his presence. You know, as I looked at those things, I reckoned, I reckon most of those things, sorry, I think all of those things are things that I can believe for me. And if I'm struggling with something that I, and I'm not peaceful about it, that's something I can expect God to help me with. So now Gideon starts to deal with the ivy, the, the stuff that's grown up in Israel that he is relying on, that Israel is relying on, that is a strength that is no strength at all, that is actually drawing away from the strength of Israel. And um, this is continuing chapter, chapter 6. But the first thing that God says to him is to take the bull from his father's herd the one that's seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it and then put a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height and use the wood of the Asherah pole as a cut, uh, uh, that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Um, this is his father's altar. It's not even his own but it's something that his father's put there as kind of, as, as part of the family strength. It's something, well, we know that God's helping us, but just in case he doesn't, we'll ask Baal for help too. Now, I know most of us haven't got Asherah poles in our back garden, but there are things that we depend on that aren't of God. And God wants us to get rid of them. It's interesting, after he's done this, they wake up in the morning. He does it at night because he's afraid. <laughs> he does it at night because no one that way will know who's done it. You know, there's, he's not really, not really thinking it through, is he? No one will know. And then they wake up in the morning and they, they saw this has happened. And they asked each other, who did it? And when they carefully investigated, in verse 29, they said they, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. So that was worth it, doing it at night, so nobody saw. So what do you think the father's going to say? Well, I'm not sure. Let's have a look. The men of town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so on that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. I thought there's something really quite interesting there. That the father was unable to deal with something, but when the son took his place... 
and heard God and did what he needed to do, the father saw it as being something that was right. (laughs) He saw it as being something that was right. You know, sometimes we're frightened of taking a risk in something because we think it might cause offence. But that fear doesn't belong in us. God's called us to deal with those things that don't belong there. You might be worried about causing offence to someone. Let Baal contend with those. This whole thing, though, has come, has, has flowed out of an issue uh, that's very powerful that I think Hans has been picking up on a bit in the spirit as we've been praying together. This issue of fear and intimidation is, is very powerful. And I don't want us to, to miss this. When we're feeling intimidated by the enemy, we have to remember who we're dealing with. I'll just put up the whole slide and I'm just going to talk about it. Far too many words, sorry. It's just how it flowed as I was preparing. We've got an enemy who's a liar, right? Anything he tells us is false. He can't tell the truth. And he finds a weakness. He finds something that we think is a weakness. And he tells us it's a weakness. And when he reminds us that it's a weakness, he keeps on pressing on that touch, pressing on that point. He is a beaten and sore enemy. He is going to lose. In fact, he has lost. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. He's on the way out. And as he's on the way out, he's got a few schemes. But God has a plan. God has a a master plan. God has has a, a, a supreme plan that includes us. What God... What the enemy feeds on is fear and doubt. He feeds on our loathing of ourselves sometimes, dwelling on weakness and failure, feeding on the negative. Those are the sorts of things that we need one another to help us with so that we don't dwell in those places, but that we listen to the Father and not to the enemy. What is your focus? Be clear on where you're going. Who's in charge? God's in charge. Always and absolutely. I was reading Psalm 121 this morning. He who watches over you does not slumber or sleep. He will not let your foot slip. He he, he watches our comings and goings. He's there the whole time. God's in charge. What has he promised? Stand on that word. Intimidation is about making someone fearful who doesn't need to be fearful who has no need of it. And the enemy delights to do that. So watch out for it in your life. Intimidation does not belong there. As I I sent a slightly witty text this morning, it was only slightly witty, Mark vaguely giggled, I think. But I I was saying I was speaking about fear and intimidation this morning, and I felt a bit nervous. (laughs) I did, I did. It's been a while since I've stood here and done this. And I was feeling, I thought, that's a bit interesting. I wonder why I feel like that. And I thought, well. But God's speaking. God speaks to us. And um, 
Intimidation does not belong in us. You know, these are the things that can allow intimidation into our life. And God's patient, as Gideon, if you read the whole story of Gideon, you can see him working things through. It's not an instant fix for Gideon. He has to, he does all these things which we would say now, and Bible scholars will say, oh, you can't do that with God. You can't deal with him like that. You can't lay out a fleece on the ground. You can't do this. But, you know, that's what Gideon did. And Gideon, God spoke to him in it. I'm pleased that God doesn't have the same rules as theologians. I'm pleased he speaks to me like I'm me. And that he speaks to me in a way that I can understand. And you know, if you wrote a book of my life, there would be loads of bits where you could say, oh, you can't do that. That's not how you deal with God. Well, I'm pleased that God doesn't insist on me dealing with him in, in particular ways. I have a living relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? So, entry points. Sorry, I was a little... Uh, discouragement, disappointment, bitterness, being distracted, failing to focus on what really matters. Sometimes we get get intimidated because there's lots of urgent things pressing in that need our attention. But God's got a different agenda for us. And the urgent and the important can get muddled in our heads. Um... I don't know whether this is, a, this is not really a spiritual example, but it is, it is, I suppose it is. Really, God's been speaking to me about needing to keep a bit fitter, so that makes it spiritual, doesn't it? Yeah. But actually, exercise was something I had no space for in my life, um, I felt, because I used to get up in the morning and I would, I would start reading my emails over my Weetabix or whatever it was I was doing, and I'd go to work and I'd do my work and I'd come home and I'd do stuff and I'd And I suddenly realised that actually what I was doing was I was doing lots of urgent stuff. But I was, when I had a blood test and they said that my cholesterol was a bit high and that I needed to go on various drugs and things to sort it out, I thought, you know, actually I might be missing out on something that's quite important here for the sake of what's urgent. And um, so I I found some time. You can tell, can't you? Maybe not. I'm hoping the blood test will tell, because it doesn't really show. But anyway, but the important thing is that don't believe the lie of the enemy when he says to you, you haven't got time. You know there's something you need to do, and, and you, 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 he says, oh, you can't do that. You haven't got time to do that. Or, yeah, you, you can't, can't, that's, you've got to do X, Y, Z. No. Uh, we can slip up in the smallest way and feel that the whole thing has gone wrong. And then we feel that, well, that's it. I'm afraid I'm going to fail again. Sometimes you've, sp- you've said things about yourself. I will never... And actually... That never needs to change. Sometimes someone said something to you. You never blah, blah. You always blah, blah. That's a hypothetical situation, not anything that 
I would know anything about. It's not right. Yeah. Anyway, but when we say things like that to one another, it's something that Christina and I are working through, you know. But if I say to you, you always, da da, whatever it is, annoy me in that way, then actually what I'm doing is I'm pronouncing something that is not true, as if it were true. And, and that word has a, has a power, what comes out of my mouth. And you have to step back and look at issues and look at, look, at, look, at, look at things and say, well, okay, what is it I am saying here? Because it's not that you always, and it's not that you never. Probably. Um, yeah, and so God, and yeah, just to say God, God sometimes, in order for the process to be real for us, in order to deal with our own walk with him, God gives us those unique, those unique experiences. And, uh, and God's patient with us in that. So don't, don't believe the enemy's lie when you feel that you've let him down or whatever. Because no matter where you are, whether you're in the pigsty or whatever, like the prodigal son, you know, wherever you are, he wants you back in his house. So, anyway, back to our story of Gideon. Um, all the Midian, basically, this is, I, I was being a bit of a, um, can I say dumb cop, Lydia? Is that, is that okay? That's just to help you with your German this week, okay? <laughs> uh, I was being a bit of a thick head. I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't really getting the story. The Midianites come every year. Guess why? Because there's a harvest every year. And I, I was, uh, I was uh, it's like, if they come and take the harvest, do they come back next week? They don't get anything. This kind of makes sense because they're farmers, they're growing stuff, right? So anyway, it's the time of year for the raid. So when Gideon's in the wine press doing his thing, he knows it's not going to be long before they get an attack. And not only that, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Eastern peoples, peoples are all joining together to have a go at the Israelites. Now he hears this, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon, and he blows the trumpet, summoning the Abirazites to, to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms to go into Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and so they too went up to meet them. This is quite good. I reckon this is a good response. You're seeing the enemy come. We're going to look at how ridiculous the odds are in a moment. Um, Gideon is responding in a really good way. <laughs> then in verse 36 he says, Gideon says, If you will save Israel by my hands as you promised... And he then goes on into a whole load of uh, uh, things where he has to be sure. And this is where we get the, the fleece laying and all of that. So it's like Gideon is living in the house of faith, but he's got the house of fear next door. But we've talked about that before, haven't we? And we know that sometimes that is our true position. We've got that sense of, yeah, God's going to do this thing, but actually we can hear... 
the noises from the house next door. Anyway, so we come to the point of the route. I'm nearly finished. I'm just going to show you some pictures of, uh, pictures of how ridiculous the whole situation is. So Gideon is, has been promised by God, I will be, give, uh, be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites as one man. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? So in, verse, in chapter 6, we've, he's been laying out his fleece. He's been saying, God, is it really you? I, I just want to be sure, just want to be sure. Now we start in Judges 7, and God has f- finished convincing him. But in Judges 7, verse 2, he says, um, God says to him, you've got too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that their own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remain. So he knew it was ridiculous, and I'll show you, show you how ridiculous. It's the next picture. Right, so this is how ridiculous it is. So if you, if you want to find out about the numbers... you're into that kind of thing. Judges 8.10 tells us, after the result, that there are 15,000 of the Midianites left after 120,000 fell. So there's something like about 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Um, There are 32,000 of Gideon's soldiers. So at the start, the Midianite army looks like this one, and Gideon's army looks like this one, okay? Now, you remember, what God said was that was too many for Gideon to be sure, and for the Israelites to be sure, that it was really God that had done it. And so he sent away that many. (laughs) Because they trembled with fear. You know, sometimes... And we we talk... (laughs) just a theme that I feel God's speaking to us as a body about. Sometimes we trust God, but we kind of have our own plans just in case. Uh, my children are beginning to get to, well, one's at university, Lydia's in the lower sixth. They're getting to that stage now where they're thinking about applying to university, and it reminds you of going back to the day when you and all the exciting things which I did at that stage. And and I remember applying to universities, and in the end I applied to uh, a number of universities, but my school told me I needed to apply to Cambridge because I was really clever. And I I hadn't hadn't thought of doing it. Anyway, so then they came, I went to the interview and I got... Uh, an offer, which is actually one of the things that you don't often get, so I got an offer. Uh, And then, but it was a really high offer, and then what happened was I didn't actually get my offer, I didn't actually get the grades, but they let me in anyway. (laughs) And you could say there were extenuating circumstances, that was a bit lazy, but, (laughs) no, it wasn't that really. But that's the sort of example of where God wanted to show me that actually it wasn't about, it wasn't about 
uh, my effort and my achievement, it was about him. Actually, that, it's unheard of that you should get in without getting your offer. Then I graduated uh, with a third-class honours degree, and I did a teacher training. And I applied for my very first job at Christmas of my PGCE, uh, and I was given a job straight away before I'd even trained. So I, I'd not got a very good qualification. I got a great qualification from a great university, but actually, in terms of if you're into that kind of thing, it's like the bottom. But the point, the point is, the point I'm getting at is that God wanted to show me that no matter how much I bog things up, he had a plan for me. I ended up getting a job, not just a job, but I ended up getting a job in what is pretty much the top co-educational school in the country. And then he made me a head of physics when I was very young because the person doing it who was not going to move on and was not going to retire, God basically spoke to him about not doing the job anymore, so he decided to give up doing the job, and then I got the job. And God, God's hand has been on me in that. The, the digression, I'm sorry for the, but I'm not sorry for the digression. What I want you to understand is that sometimes we, we rely too much on the odds looking like this. In fact, really, we're much happier if the odds are on our side and we're like in the Red Army. But what happens, of course, with Gideon's army is, first of all, they go away because they're frightened. And then he says, well, there's, there's, there's still too many. Um, and then he says, uh, he says, let's sort them out. And go, he goes down, takes them down to the water. And the way they drink the water means that he's left with 300 men. So... God's word is, Gideon, you're going to take take Midianites. You're going to kill the Midianites. Your own hand is going to see the Midianite army overcome. And Gideon is in this position. Because what God's been trying to get into his thick head, what God's been trying to get into my thick head in the last 40-something years, is that it's not about me and it's not about my strength. It's not about Gideon and it's not about his strength, but it's about the Lord and what he can do through us. So with God, it's possible... And actually what happens, if you read the story, is that they go to the camp and the Midianites, by a bit of, uh, a bit of sleight of hand, they, think there's, they wave torches and they sound trumpets. The Midianites kill each other. The enemy destroys himself. So I want to leave you with this then. You see, even though the enemy looked ridiculously powerful, ridiculously powerful. So, you know, I just, I saw that and I thought, that's ridiculous. I can't quite get my brain. But with God. So, fear can be rational. It would be very appropriate to be fearful going to battle against 132,000 soldiers with 300 people on your side. But we don't have to be ruled by it. 
God hasn't called us to a life of fear, but freedom in the Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit of the Lord does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Jesus said that when God's on our side, what's impossible is possible. If our God is for us, then who can be against us? I believe that for some, there's a bit of ivy on your shed that you're a bit worried about taking down because you don't really want to see what's underneath. But God's saying that ivy is the very thing that is causing that weakness. Let's just pray. Lord, we recognise that we trust at times too much on that which we can see and not enough on your word. Lord, give us that heart of Gideon to not let go of you until we've dealt with those fears, until we've dealt with those uh, confusions. And Lord, where there are those responding today who, whose hearts are stirred by this living water that you promise, that isn't a spirit of timidity, but of love and of power and self-discipline, Lord, that you would release him more greatly into our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the hand you place on our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.